Hey, welcome to this episode of The Rise After the Fall. It is just me today. I am Sands, my wife, Pastor Sunny, but I am so excited for the fact that I have a guest, my very good friend, Lee McFarland, and I want you to hear his story, and I want you to be encouraged by that. And so, Pastor Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Hey, Sean. Thank you so much. It's great to visit with you, be in your church, and see the great things happening, man. Yeah, you've got an incredible story. I I felt like I knew your story until I heard your story. Mm. I think that's one of the things we make a lot of. We make a lot of assumptions about people. We hear their story. We've even kind of followed their story. But until you've locked hands with somebody and you've really walked through it on an intimate basis, and of course, we spent the last three days together, you spoke at Life Church Green Bay today, and it was so amazing. And to see it move the people in the way that it did. And I think this podcast, honestly, Pastor Lee, it started out as, as a way to reach out to pastors who were in the midst either of a failure or in danger of it. But what's happened is it's become a podcast where there's people, business people and moms and parents that don't know how to raise crazy teenagers Uh now who feel like they've failed. Anybody who's ever raised a teenager understands what it feels like to be a failure. And, but yet the target audience really is people who are in ministry and you were a wild success in ministry. I remember you when I was a young pastor, you were blazing new trails, doing things no one had ever done, buying Krispy Kremes by the thousands. And <laughs> yep. you still have your old email address, which I think is <clears throat> is so humorous, Blue Jean Pastor, where yep. I go, was that uncommon That was when uncommon. you started Radiant? <laughs> yeah. Well, I I felt like I was doing something really crazy wearing blue jeans the first Sunday, my grand opening, and a t-shirt. And sneakers, you know, I just thought I was being a, and not fancy sneakers, you know, like Chucks. Like yeah. I just walked up and, hey, welcome to our first Sunday. And by the way, the air conditioner didn't work. So it was 112 outside. <laughs> so we have a picture of everybody sweating, these big sweat spots in the back of their t-shirt. That's hilarious. My mom and dad are there. My dad's looking at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Why did you do this? Yeah. But the the district controlled the air conditioner at the district headquarters for the school, and so we couldn't turn it on. Good times. I've never heard of that. That they can is a centralized yeah. air conditioning. So that's yeah. when you really are pinching your pennies, right? When you don't want to have, and it's not a school day, so somebody missed the memo yeah. that you guys were going to be in there. You weren't yeah. the first church that was in that school, so maybe no. they felt like it was nope. open space now. I guess. So I, you know, when you say you were wildly successful, I'm sitting there thinking of this just ridiculous stuff that happened. Right? I thought the next Sunday, I thought nobody's coming here. I don't. I didn't have the air on. They're probably like, oh, so this is how this is going to be. We're not. We'll find somewhere else. You know, as a pastor, I would look at that and I'd go, "This is a great time for an offering teaching. <laughs> if you just give your tithes and I'll your offerings on. today, I'll turn the air on next yeah, week. I'll turn the air on if you pay. <laughs> Let them think that you are in control of yeah. that. Well, I think what's fascinating about you and I've <clears throat> admired you from a distance for a long time, and you know, there's you're such a legendary tale pre-fall." in this idea that you left such a lucrative career behind yeah. to come into ministry. You know, so many of us who are in ministry 
we think that we could do something else, especially when a guy is negotiating a salary, they kind of feel like, well, you know, if I were in the secular world, then I would be able to make blah, blah, blah. But there's so many of us in the ministry who think like we could go into the secular world and really do something significant, but you're not, that's not, that's not a theory with you. Yeah. You before ministry were incredibly successful and walked away from a lot to do it. So would you tell our friends about that? Well, it's funny because I, you know, I got my electrical engineering degree. It took me five and a half years instead of four. Not a good sign. I flunked a couple of classes. Not a good sign. I had many people say, you shouldn't be an engineer. Like, dude, you're you're struggling to get this done. <laughs> but I just, you know, like I would take one course and get a D and then I'd retake it and get an A. And I realized it has a lot to do with the professor and the teaching style, blah, blah, blah. So I, but I'm a perseverance kind of guy. I like keep going at it. I don't give up. Like if that doesn't work, all right, adapt, change, do something else. So I became an engineer, double E. I started working, I became a senior engineer in two years. I wow. became, uh, uh, they call it a principal engineer in another one year because I just saw things that needed to be done. I had a way of knowing what had to be figured out. And then I became a program manager, senior program manager, just moved up in the ranks, moved to Phoenix, got a transfer with Honeywell. And so there was kind of this fast progression track record that when I interviewed at Microsoft, they're like, we're just, you're who we're looking for. I didn't want to move to Seattle. So I actually interviewed bad on purpose. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to live here. It rains all the time. So I'm trying to throw the interview. So they'd ask me a question. I go, uh, that's not the right question to ask me. You should be asking me this. I was just being a smart aleck because I thought the last thing I wanted was them to give me a job offer. But what I didn't realize was they like that. Wow. <laughs> when you interview, if they, if you're like in their face and you're like, uh, you just asked me the wrong question, bro. They go, oh my gosh, I love this guy. He's such a smart aleck, you know, <laughs> like it's what they value. So they made me a job offer and I turned them down. What? Yes, sir. Turned him down, told him no, I didn't want to move to Seattle. So the guy who was going to be my boss, he says, look, you and your wife fly up here. I'll put you up for three days. You don't have to come to Microsoft. You don't have to interview anymore. Just have dinner with me and my wife on the last day. The rest of the time, just have fun, get to know Seattle, help your wife get adjusted and you know, see if she likes it. And we did. They made us a second offer. They increased the stock option, increased the signing bonus, increased the salary. And I told San Diego, do you think God wants us to move here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> What year was that? That was in 1994. And you, you said it during our service today, so I'm, I'm not ashamed to ask this question. In yeah. 1994, you were making six figures at Microsoft. Right. Tell our friends how many stocks that they gave you. Uh, 16,000 shares of Microsoft stock options. Yeah. And that was worth how much per... Well, they were selling, what was happening then, it was so crazy as the stock would go up to like 280, 320, 340, and then it would split. That's what you do when it goes up that high. So split means the price goes to half and the amount of shares doubles. So, you know, you just sit there and go, oh my word, I just, my net worth just went up. So I actually made a spreadsheet and made it my screensaver. <laughs> it would go out in the morning and get the stock price and then recalculate on based on my shares. That starts your day off exceptionally well. You know, when you see your, uh, wow, my net worth went up from yesterday. I had a little graph of it too. So then everybody wanted my Excel spreadsheet. 
<laughs> That's a little different than when you're in ministry and you wake up on Monday morning and Pastor Rick Warren says that everybody wants to resign every Monday morning. Yeah. But you wake up and you see your spreadsheet. And I did the math while you were giving your message first service today, and it was $4,800,000. That's what that stock yeah. was worth. Yeah. And so the the way they set it up is they you get those shares and a seventh of them vests every six months. So you are on a three and a half year track before they fully vest, which means that's when you can exercise them and cash them out. Okay. So they give you a little more plus the split. So you get into this thing where you're always, they send you a thing, hey, this many shares are now, you can exercise them, you can cash them out. So, and if you hold on to them, you could, it just starts building up. It just turns into crazy money. That is insane. And, and in the midst of that, what was your title again at Microsoft? Director for Worldwide Operations. Yeah. That sounds like so pinky in the brain. It sounds like whoa, <laughs> yeah. world domination. Yeah, like, it, it was a little bit of world domination for sure. Like we were rolling out Windows 95. So wow. that was when they, you know, asked the Rolling Stones if they could use their song Start Me Up because that was the introduction of the start button down in the left-hand corner. I never knew that. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, just a crazy time. Crazy yeah. time. Money dripping off the walls. You know, it was it was a lot of fun. Sandy had to call me at home to remind me to come home because I would just be working. It's always dark there. You can't tell by the sunlight. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and I'd just say, why? What time is it? And she goes, it's seven. I'm like, oh, babe, I'm so sorry. So I'd like race home, you know, and I told her, get a house as close as you can to Microsoft because I don't want to be stuck commuting. So she rented a house across the road from Microsoft. And I was like, perfect. Oh, this so, is great. Two little kids. That way I could just boom, be home and play with the kids and stuff. So yep. And then God stepped in. Yep. Tell us about that. Well, I kind of knew I was called to ministry, you know, like I felt like there was an altar call back in my church in Phoenix before when I was working for Honeywell. There was a time where I felt God really said, You're gonna do something for me and it's gonna be, you know, ministry. And um uh, but then I'm, while I'm up at Microsoft, uh, I start taking courses. I thought, well, you know, I should take courses. So I would go to Microsoft early in the morning. It's not an early company. So nobody comes to work till nine. They're all developers. You know, right. they drag in and get your Starbucks. Well, I would show up at 6 a.m. and study for two hours in my office. So I'm cranking through my coursework to become a pastor. And I'm thinking, I don't know when I'll ever use this, you know. But I enjoyed it, so I'd do that every morning. It's a great way to start your day studying about God. Mm. And there was a pastor in Bellevue said, you know, hey, I don't have a youth pastor. Would you help me out? And I go, sure. He goes, I can't pay you anything. And I go, I don't need any money. And he goes, oh, great. Perfect. <laughs> like, right? Every pastor's dream. I don't need money and I'll yeah. help you. Right. Yeah. And then he said, I don't have any budget. And I go, Okay. I'll figure it out, you know. So I wrote checks. Like if it was time to have a snow camp, I would pay for the snowmobiles. I'd pay for the camp. I'd pay for the guest speaker. I'd write a check for four grand, you know, and go, hey, let's have a great snow camp. And he was, the pastor's like, God is shining upon me with his mercy and grace, you know. Every pastor in here is going, God, <clears throat> please give me a Lee McFarlane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And those, the, that small little youth group of 30 kids to this day, a lot of them are in ministry and stay in contact with me. It's crazy. Like wow. you start to realize you leave these seeds that are planted in people's hearts, you know, kids' hearts. I Later on, that. they become in ministry. Yeah. And so what year was it that God kind of intervened and said, <laughs> I want you to really 
leave yeah. and go into ministry? 1996 mm. was when, like, I went, oh, no. Like, I told Sandy, I go, I, I'm just feeling this huge discontent, unsettledness, but it's not, I love my job. Mm. I love my job, but I feel like God wants us to do something. And uh, I applied for a church in Mill Creek, Washington, which is north of Microsoft. And I thought, this will be great. I could be a pastor and work at Microsoft. Like I, I went, this will be great. So I interview and it's, it's a church of 40 people, a little bit more than a small group. And they're meeting in a modular building and they are not, uh, let's see, open to new techniques, let's say. And <laughs> I go to the men's Bible study and the guy goes, I'll be reading directly from the Hebrew and translating as I read into English. And I went, I don't know the Hebrew that good, so right. we're in trouble. <laughs> and uh, so long story short, they didn't offer me the job. And it was funny, the reason given was you don't fit the demographic of the area. And I was like, I am the demographic of the area. I work at Microsoft. I have two children. I have a barbecue pit and a dog. I'm what you're trying to reach, you know? No doubt. <laughs> uh, pretty funny. You could have just built that church off of your <clears throat> section. Right, they had Microsoft. no idea, yeah, right? That's insane. Yeah. I could have paid their mortgage, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> it's just funny to look back. But, you know, God... Uh, uses those moments to steer us. So what you think is, wow, this would be perfect and I could stay at Microsoft, keep the money, da-da-da. God goes, not the plan, mm. not the plan. So <clears throat> about then, I had uh, talked to people in Arizona, that's where I was from, Honeywell, you know, and, and uh, the district superintendent gave my resume to some guy in Sun City, you know, and so one night I get a phone call. It's got a Phoenix area code. I go, it must be one of my bros, one of my friends, you yeah. know, and answered. And uh, uh, this is Pastor Mel. Uh, I understand you might be open to uh, being a pastor. And I said, yeah. He said, well, I want to know if you'd like to plant a church. I had never heard the phrase plant a church. Right. I was like, plant a church. I wonder what that means, you know. He wanted to <laughs> plant a church in a place, a place called Surprise. And I actually said to him, no, you can tell me what's the name of the city. <laughs> he goes, no, the name of the city is Surprise. And I go, oh, okay. Uh, well, I don't know. I guess we should talk about it. And he said, uh, is there any way you could come down here and meet with me in person? I want to look you in the eye. And I said, uh, well, I do actually have a business trip to Phoenix next week. Uh, I can come down. We can talk. And... You know, he's like, uh, all right, let's meet at Denny's for breakfast. And I just remember thinking, Denny's. <laughs> I don't eat at Denny's, you know? Yeah, not when, you're, not when you have 16,000 shares of Microsoft stock. You don't well, I mean, my well. wonderful admin, who, by the way, dawned my admin at Microsoft, I ended up performing her wedding for her years later. You know, she called me and she goes, you're the only pastor I want to do my wedding, you know? That's was, so cool. Yeah. So I think God wants ministry and life to intersect like that, not to be so separated. But yeah, uh, so yeah, she would always rent me a Cadillac and put me in a five star hotel and all that, you know. So, I, but I'm going to Denny's for breakfast. This should have been a clue. There's what ministry is like, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Abject poverty, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, we met at Denny's and. I'm chatting about, you know, well, he says there's no building, no people, no church. There's no, there's nothing. You're going to go into that city and just stir it up and see what you could do and get a church started. 
And I've never been a pastor, so I'm thinking, oh, how hard could that be? Meet some people. I'm going to meet people. Yeah. I'll just go. I'll just start meeting some people. You know. I'll go to the park and walk yeah. my dog. And- yeah, yeah. How how hard could it be? <laughs> my half of my success is just the absolute. Uh, naivete yeah. and unawareness of how hard something was supposed to be, and I didn't know that, you know. Right. So he told me the compensation. I asked him, "What's the compensation package?" He goes, uh, "Twenty-two thousand a year." And I was like, "Good lord, that's less than two thousand a month." Like I'm real quick doing the math. I'm just like, "Okay, let's say you had an apartment for seven hundred a month, and you got food, and you got nah, 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 and I got two kids and a wife." Like I went, I don't think that works. Yeah. <laughs> You said during our service today that you said that's that's about half of what I paid in income tax last yeah, year. Yeah the, yeah, the year before, I think I paid like 48000 in income tax. And I'm like, hmm, uh, this is like jumping off a cliff. But you know, in the, in the ridiculousness, when God asks you to do something ridiculous, if you will not look at that ridiculousness, but just look at, well, God's got to be in this for it to be so stupid so ridiculous, so like your logic is going, no, 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 we're not doing that. But our heart was going, is that you, God? And if it is, like make it plain to us. Well, I think for you to be drawn to that even would make you think, well, this has to be God because there's no way that I'm going to. I should be saying no. (laughs) When I got called to come to Green Bay, I remember, you know, this was a small church and they, they, we were living in San Diego Mm. And wow, so I had to go to Green Bay. Oh, I had a great salary. I had a great job. Same as you. I mean, just less money. But yeah. I was <laughs> loving life. And I remember when we flew here, I had them fly my my son Isaiah, who was eight at the time, and I in in exchange for Packer tickets. And I remember uh, it was the fourth quarter. Aaron Rodgers wasn't playing that game. It was Matt Flynn, Mm. and Matt Flynn broke the single-game passing record in that game. He went off, and the next year he ended up going to Seattle and signing a huge contract. And I remember the the lights came on in Lambeau. It just started to snow, and my son, Isaiah, looked at me, and he said, I think we're supposed to move here. Your eight-year-old son. (laughs) And I was like, bro, you're (laughs) super right. And I remember looking at him at Lambeau Field and saying, but how are we going to convince your mother (laughs) to Mm. leave San Diego Mm. to come to Green Bay? And when we got home, the Holy Spirit had already been working on her. Mm. And so it's that ridiculousness of who leaves San Diego. And what's interesting is I remember my first like two months that I was here, me talking about that a lot. Yeah. Me talking about, well, who leaves San Diego to come to Green Bay? Ha, ha, ha. And finally, Sonny said to me, hey, you know, until you go all in, these people don't care that you came from San Diego. Yeah. Like, stop talking about it. Yeah. And so, but it is in that ridiculousness of you going, I'm going to leave a, a Microsoft where I'm making six figures to come to a, a town I had never heard of and, and take yeah. this job. But, you know, back to something that you said a minute ago where, where you had talked about it, the naivety that you possibly had. Yeah. Or maybe it's part of the fact that you have a spiritual entrepreneurial spirit. Right. There's yeah. something in the the non-physical that you look at it and like an entrepreneur looks at things and they don't see what other people see. Yeah. And I think that that's a little bit of you too. We we really complicate ministry. Ministry yeah. isn't really that hard. Yeah. It's 
it's telling, it's telling people that you love about this Jesus who made such a huge difference in your life. But even before you get to that, what's interesting to me is that a lot of people who I know in ministry, people have become a bother to them. Yeah. I go, I got into ministry for people. Yeah. I like the people. That's why you and that's why you and I connect because we're both the same. I'm the same way. Sandy will be like, Can we go now? Do you have to talk to every single person in the lobby before you leave? And I go, I just love talking to people, you know. Well, to you, they're yeah, they're God's people, but they're really your people, right? And so here you are with this juxtaposition of do I wanna go into ministry, but I do I wanna be irresponsible. And you had a really difficult decision to make in that because it wasn't just a matter of I'm going to leave this six-figure job and and take a $22,000 a year job. You had a lot to lose by leaving Microsoft. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm in, when you're in your 30s, that's power stroke time. Like that's when you're like, let's do yeah. this. I'm going to get a promotion and another one and another one. I'm going to move up, swim with the sharks, you know, put on your dorsal fin in the morning and jump in the pool. And I was, I was like, I'm going to do this thing. And so, yeah, so many things go through your head because you're like, am I about to, you know, I even had people tell me you're ruining your career and your life. You're, you, you know, Microsoft people with all good intentions said, just wait five more years. In five more years, you have enough money. You can do whatever you want the rest of your life. Why Why in your 30s jump off the plane when you don't have a parachute? You're like, let, for the, let the parachute open first. Then you can just drift down to wherever you want to go. Yeah. And I thought, the idea has merit. I do like, <laughs> right. you know, you're speaking truth. But when God says now, we look back now and we go, it had to be then. Right. It was a timing thing in so many different ways, little nuances, but God was like, I want you to go now. Right. And that, so when he nudges you, when he pushes you and sends you confirmation through strange little things, you know, that's when you just have to go, it's, I want to walk in his will more than I want to have a logical explanation for my life. Right. And I think I know your story now in retrospect of course, you were living it in real time, but now when I hear you tell the story of when you left Microsoft, you had the, you said they call it the golden handcuffs, and it's so yeah. that they can keep you there, and you had to surrender all of your stock when you left. And now I look at the fact that you had this incredible success in ministry, but then you you had the fall from grace that we're going to talk about here in a second, but. The natural inclination in me would be to lament because I let the devil get in my mind way too often. It's Mm. sometimes his playground. And my thought would have been, had I waited those five years and then I had a fall, I wouldn't have to worry about not, you know, at 63 years old trying to rebuild my life. And yet the beautiful thing about grace is that often it requires that we hit the bottom. We've said on this podcast before, for somebody to really go into or through recovery, they have to fall all the way. Yeah. And had you had a golden parachute rather than golden handcuffs, maybe you wouldn't be at the place where now you just blessed a bunch of people in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And so you go to Surprise, Arizona. This is 1996. 97, you, yeah. 97, you launched in your living room yeah. with a handful of people. 
Yeah. And then tell them what happened. Well, you know, like I met the mayor by accident right, <laughs> right away. Like, like little things like that, I went, I'm supposed to be here right now because I met the mayor right away. She was like, I'm so glad we need more churches here. And she was a cantankerous older lady. <laughs> Love her, Joan Schaefer, God rest her soul. And then uh, met the city manager, met the development manager for the city. And things just started happening. I, I met, I found a school I wanted to rent. It was the only one actually elementary school in the area where all the houses were. And it was already rented by a church, but it was running 30 people and had been for two years. So it's it's not happening. Right. And uh, the principal said, I'm sorry, it's rented. Uh, I said, well, how can I help you? And he goes, what? And I said, how can I help you? And he goes, we've, he goes, I don't know. I mean, I said, what's your problems? And he goes, well, we just had a big budget cut that cut out PER to music. I said, oh, I'm a musician. He goes, you are? And I said, yeah, I play drums, bass, guitar. He goes, are you kidding me? I said, I could do a music appreciation class. And he said, well, you're not a certified teacher. And I go, what if the teacher brought the class in and just sat there so you know you have coverage, but I could do that. He said, well, I can't pay you a nickel. And I said, no, I'm talking about for free. Huh. He's like, what? He, he just couldn't believe it. His name is Fernando de la Osa. Wow. Great guy. And he was like, that would be incredible. Well, what happened was, at the time, I think I'm just helping Fernando. Yeah. No. The, the kids come into the class. They have a great time. I'm teaching them music. They're singing songs. They're learning, playing instruments, learning about notes and stuff. And, and I'm not a teacher, but I'm just doing the best I can. And I'm silly in front of kids, so they like that. And the parents heard. Pretty soon parents are stopping by the school to come sit in the back of the class to watch this happening. They're coming up. Who are you? Why are you here? Well, I'm going to start a church someday if I can find a place to meet. Well, man, we're coming to your church whenever it opens. Then I knew what was happening. So uh, I get choked up thinking about it, but it's like God God puts you in those moments where it's like, is this about you or is this about that guy that's sitting across the desk from you who's got a problem? And if you'll help him with his problem, I'll just make the whole thing automatic for you. Wow. And. So when we opened the church, we had 157 people on day one, which at that time, this was before all the ark and all the things that were, you know, there to help church planters now, like a lot of people went, whoa, that's a pretty good sized crowd for the first Sunday, you know? Yeah. And and no air conditioning. <laughs> I mean, then, it's larger than the average Assembly of God Church in America right now by double. Let's that be crazy? frank about it. Yeah. And then the next Sunday, I thought nobody would come. The air did work, and we had 102. So I can't help anybody break through the 100 barrier because I never experienced that. <laughs> <laughs> but it just started growing from there. And, you know, after the first year, we were running 450. By the end of the second year, we were at about 800. And we there was another church that met there on Saturday nights. I asked, to, I went to the pastor, and I said, can you just leave your chairs up and we'll add ours to yours? And he goes, Why? And I go, uh, we're running out of chairs. Like, we need more chairs. And he goes, are you kidding me? He was so irritated. You know, he's like, you need our chairs and your chairs too. And I said, well, I'm just asking. That would be a huge help. And he goes, sure, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, I was trying to apologize. I'm like, I'm sorry. There's just people coming, you know. And <laughs> so after two and a half years, we were around a thousand people. And that... It definitely gets everybody going, what are you doing? Yeah. I remember some guy from the national office came and 
he was sitting out there. I didn't know he was out there. So we just had our regular service and everything. He comes up to me and he goes, where'd you go to Bible college? And I thought, uh-oh, I did a theological mistake like or busting. something. Yeah, <laughs> My exegesis was improper or something, you know? And, and uh, I said, uh, actually, I, I did online courses with, you know, Global University. And he said, so you didn't go to one of our Bible colleges? And I'm just thinking, this is going to a bad place. And I go, no. And he goes, that's why this is so successful. Congratulations, bro. We didn't screw you up. <laughs> That's <laughs> so awesome. funny. And I said, oh, okay. I mean, it really was a little bit of naivete. I'd never pastored a church. So here I am starting one and it's growing and I'm just going using business principles to put structure in place. And I'm thinking, well, I got to teach everybody about what membership means. And I just plugged in the membership classes and had them in the library in between services, I'd teach those and then go back and preach the message. And, you know, it was busy, yeah. but it was so exciting. And like people, I had, I had uh, Miss Arizona come as a guest, you know, and I thought, well, this, her name was Stacy Momar and she was a Christian girl. I got a reference from her church. They said, she's a great speaker. So I thought, oh, I'll have her come and speak. That'd be cool. You know, Miss Arizona. What I didn't realize, like that does kind of draw the guys. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. That, that Sunday, I think we were running like 350, 400, and that Sunday we had 800. And I was like, oh, wow. Everybody wanted to come see the Miss Arizona. Yeah. Uh, and so that was a trademark of ours. I had Meadowlark Lemon come. I had oh Brian gosh. Duncan, you know, who was yeah. a Christian singer back in the time. And uh, uh, I can't even remember. We, we just started having special guests all the time, which culminated like in, in our... When we were running 2200, we had Jump 5 come for Easter. Oh, boy. That's an old so, name. Yeah, wow. Yeah, but at the time, they, they were, were huge. Hot, yeah. And they, Disney had picked them up. Wow. So we couldn't figure out where to put them because we just thought every... We advertised huge. We sent out 100,000 flyers. Jump 5 is going to be at Radiant Church for Easter Sunday. We're having five services, two Saturday, three Sunday. And everybody's like, so Pastor Lee, like, where are we going to put them? We have an auditorium that holds 600 people. So we rented this massive circus tent kind of thing with huge poles and circus tent. We had to rent a sound system. We had to rent lights. We, I mean, we went all out. We spent some serious money and we had 10,200 people come for Easter. Good Lord. With How many years four. in was this? This was like uh, probably 2003, so six years in. Wow. Yeah. And then everybody knew who we were, like you know, the city was probably 30,000 people at that point. So a third of the city shows up for Jump 5 and church and huge altar call, people getting saved. It was like, I, I, by that time, I'm every Sunday, <laughs> you know, I would just go, I'm not, I, I don't know what I'm doing really. In a way I did because I was a business person, but in another way I went, I'm I'm not prepared for this. I don't realize I like this isn't I what in the world is happening right now? And people are coming up, so tell me your strategy and tell me your strategic plan and tell me da 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 and I go, uh, I'm just trying to love the Lord and follow in his steps and stay on track and love on people and lead him to Christ and I think you weren't jaded either, right? You I wasn't jaded. You didn't have, you know, this journey of some guys who are in ministry, they've gone through the oh. gamut to get to a place where they can go do their own thing and they bring bad habits or bad memories and they're wounded by that. And I love the fact that you had said that God wants ministry and life to intersect and that's why you were a free 
yeah. music teacher and why people were drawn to that and attracted to that because people, even in this day in 2022, I think people are not used to generosity yeah. with our time or with our giftings so or good. with yeah. our love. We're so meager yeah. even with our love. And Sonny, my wife has a saying that you'll be trusted with what you can be trusted with. That God will trust you with what you can be trusted with. And what God was trusting you with was people. Yeah. Because he knew, uh, just put in this, put in this analogy, like uh, you had kids and, you know, uh, if, if your kids ever had a bad babysitter, yeah, you'd never use that never, babysitter yeah. again, right? Never. But you find a babysitter who gets down on the floor and colors yeah. Yeah. and does Lego and all that stuff, man, you're like, I'm not paying $4 an hour for this babysitter. I'm going to pay this babysitter in a way that she never wants to go on a date for the rest of her life. I want her to be committed to my kids. And when God looks at somebody like you who metaphorically, spiritually got down on the floor with his kids and said, let's just put up, hey, let's put up a circus tent. <laughs> and I think in heaven, the people were like, good, this is so sick. Are you yeah. kidding me that he's having a circus tent? And, and I think in those times, God was like, I know what you're going to do with my kids. You're going to love my kids the way yeah. I love my kids. Wow, that's good, Sean. And entertain oh, them so and all good. of this stuff. And so like they just kept coming in droves. And for yeah. years... Well, we even like had to baptize all those people got saved, right? And I'm thinking, how long does it take to bat? 280 people signed up for baptism. I'm like, what? How, how are we going to do that? Get a get a fire so, hose. So we we call a water park. It's hot in Phoenix. Stop. You don't have to worry about the weather. We call a water park and we said we'd like to baptize some people in the wave pool. And they go, well, you can't do that because the wave pool is open to the general public. Like we can't let you like take it over or something. And we go, what time do you open? And they go, well, nine o'clock. And I said, what if we came at eight or seven thirty, and we baptize people in the wave pool before you get started? And they were like, oh, we won't have the music on. We go, oh, that's good. We have our own music we want to play, you know. And so, <laughs> the long story short, they let us come into the water park at seven thirty. We set up eight stools in the water for people to sit on so we could baptize them. We took them out to the place, the right depth wow. and everything, and and just start baptizing people eight at a time with the people on staff and stuff. And whew, I mean, the Spirit of God came down over that water pool, and it was such an incredible thing. People were weeping. Yeah. When you see 280 people baptized and their family comes to see it. So people who weren't going to come to the church, we had a church picnic afterwards for the rest of the day, but anybody who wasn't going to stay for the water park could come and see their family get baptized and get back out for free. So there was hundreds and hundreds of people standing on the shore or in the water to watch and very so, so moving. And I just realized people are desperately looking for a moment where they can connect with God. And if you'll help them connect with God in a very real way and help them take a big step in their life, like they're, they're in. Like they just go, this is what I needed. This is what was missing in my life, you know? That's insane. I thought you were going to say that you had them turn the waves on. We did talk about that. We're like, let's just have eight of them stand and just a wave goes over them. All right, next. Whoever gets to stand up wins. No, yep. you're actually baptized. No, right? this is amazing. This, and it's, it's a, you know, 14 years of stories after stories yeah. like yeah. that. And I, I can see why. 
the next year, we're like, where do we have Easter now? We had Jump 5 and we had a tent. We went to the Surprise Spring Training Stadium, which was brand new, seats 16,000, and we filled that up. And it was stinking hot because it turned out that March was a hot March. And, you know, people got saved in an altar call and, oh, that was craziness, which finally culminated, I think, in 2008 and 2009. We were the first church to rent Cardinal Stadium, which was wow. called University of Phoenix at the time, and had Easter in there. We we did not fill it up, you know, even with 18,000 people coming, it holds 60. Yeah. So it wasn't full, but we were like, hey, we're just, you know, it was pretty easy to say, where's Easter? It's a Cardinal Stadium, you know, so... We just had a lot of visitors show up. We had Jump 5 come back, and they were Jump 4 by then. <laughs> but still <laughs> rocked funny, it. You know, yeah. I rode in on a Harley. Like, I would do stupid. Now I look back and I go, what a yahoo. I'm riding a Harley in for Easter Sunday. <laughs> but, you know, who Who are you trying to impress? Church people come or on, people man. who need Jesus? Come on. So I would see guys out there, big, big Harley riding guys, tatted up, beards, you know, you're, you're, you're people and my people, right? Yeah. They're out there and they're crying and they're coming down and getting saved at the end of the service. And they're coming up to me and going, so what year is your fat boy? You know, like you just can see they're just looking for somebody who's like them yeah. who understand them. Yeah. Anyway, amazing. Over and over amazing. Yeah. So 14 years of just incredible success. And then, mm. well, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. By the time the church is six thousand people, it's one Friday service, two Saturday, three Sunday. I'm speaking for all of them, and you know, you're a workaholic because I'm a workaholic and I'm loving it. But you don't realize what's happening to you. You have to take inventory. You have to kind of look at your life. So many times I would get home at ten at night, and Sandy would already be asleep. I would slither into bed sleep, and then I'm an early riser. I'd get back up at six, take a shower, get ready, and leave and not see my wife. Work till 10 at night. And I was also, I started a charter school in my spare time with my father-in-law. And so that charter school is running 900 students, and I'm the CEO of that. And I'd have board meetings and presentations and, you know, uh, construction projects for the final campus that we were building, 1,600 seats. And so... It, it just, all these things started adding up and and you don't realize you're getting tired. Yeah. So I go, oh, I'm tired, I'll, I'll drink an energy drink. So I was drinking three a day, Rockstar Lemonades, because uh, they don't have, uh, you know, carbonation. And then I would drink five on Sunday to get me through the three services. And my admin knew she would see it and you could tell she was like, uh, what, how about water? You know, like she was trying to get me to switch to yeah. something else. And... uh you get in a bad place. I've since found out from my counseling time that, you know, when you drink energy drinks, you're, you stop thinking front of brain and logically, and it moves to the back of your brain, your base instincts, <laughs> sex drive, <laughs> food, shelter, those kind of things. So guess what? You, you start making bad decisions because you're not logically thinking it through. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and it can, I think it can happen to anybody. Probably anybody can relate to it. You know, Facebook, you post stuff and people interact on the posting in a public way, but then there's that little DM, you know, people call it sliding into your DMs, you know. Yep. And, 
And it can be so innocent as a pastor. People go, loved your sermon today. Loved, you know, you and Sandy, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, you know, nice things. And yep. you're like, this is cool staying in touch. Or, hey, would you pray for me? Hey, would you pray for me? It's pretty dangerous as a senior pastor. You just really got to keep your guard up. And even if you find it hard to keep your guard up, then get off of it or have someone else manage it. Just yeah. don't do it directly. Um, but I was like, I even said to some people on my staff, I need to get off of managing my own Facebook because it's too much direct access. It's unprotected. So I'd say to any pastor, it's unprotected access. You got to watch. Right. You have to protect yourself because you don't know what somebody's trying to do. I had a period of time where I took my social media and, and our team here made it private. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't message me unless I followed you. Yeah. You couldn't tag me unless I followed you. Yeah. And, and then that became problematic because mm-hmm. it made it look like we thought that we were Prima something Donna. that we yeah. weren't. Yep. And so what I did is I gave my login to my wife. And my wife had my login to every social media thing. And she has my logins to everything, actually. My bank account, everything. I mean, we share a bank account, but you know, some wives, they don't want to be a part of the yeah. finance. Some husbands don't want to be a part yeah. of the finances. So there's this, this autonomy out there where anything that's done in the secret you know, it's dangerous. And yeah. so Sonny has my logins to all this stuff. But at the same time, then she has to be studious in in looking at it. I mean, if you go s- six months and, you know, now there's all of this stuff, uh, like you can do Google incognito mode. I just noticed that last week. There's mm. a switch that you can flip that says incognito mode. And I think if you have a spouse and you get on their Google and it says incognito mode, then you better start Let's asking talk, some yeah. questions yeah. because incognito mode is like the Snapchat of search engines. Yeah. It hides everything that you look for. I don't yeah. need to hide anything that I'm right. looking for. But back in the day, I had to hide what I was looking for. I was Googling stuff that I didn't need to be Googling. And so here you are, 6,200 people. You're 14 years in. You're the talk of the town. You're the biggest church in the assemblies of God. You're the hero of countless millennials who are wanting to pastor churches. You're wearing blue jeans, riding a Harley, (laughs) filling stadiums. You're like the Ric Flair of pastors. (laughs) And then someone slid into your DMs. Yeah. And, and I would say when you talk about incognito, just uh, everybody should probably know there is no such thing as incognito. Hmm. Any, anything you type on any keyboard, phone, computer, laptop, anything, all of that is not hidden. It's somewhere on a server. Spoken from a man who worked at Microsoft. Yeah. And you're never incognito. Wow. There's an IP address that goes to your house, that goes to your equipment, that links you. If the FBI or anybody else wants to know anything, they'll know it. Boom, done. So you're not incognito. So let that put the fear of God in you. (laughs) There is no incognito. And then the second thing is you're so so right. Like your spouse is supposed to be the one who can know where all of your struggles are, where all of your issues are, when somebody does slide into your DMs. You know what the best thing is? Is to sit down with your spouse. And so this lady sent me this and... uh, I'm going to answer it, but I want you to be here while I answer it back. Yeah. And then we're, then we're going to block her and that'll be that, you know, because there's so much power in that. If you know what happened to us is I stopped praying with Sandy. Sandy and I would pray together every day or night, one of the two morning or night. And somewhere right in there before my failure, two years before my failure, we stopped praying together because I was too busy. 
And that yeah. that should have been like this huge red flag, and it wasn't enough of a one. And we pray to, ever since my failure, we pray together every morning or every night, one of the two. And it's funny, it's there's like last night, we were tired, and I go, oh, we need to pray. And she's like, you pray. And I go, you pray. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you're, yeah. you're, you're wooved. But those are the moments, actually, the prayers are so sweet. Wow. Because, you know, sometimes God's just waiting for you to say, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for Sean and Sonny and this wonderful church and us, our time together. You know, like that's what our prayer was last night. And, and help us know what our next step in ministry is. And, you know, it, it's a prayer from a, a weariness or a prayer from an excitement or, you yeah. know, whatever it is, don't just t- connect as a couple with Jesus and you, there's a game changer that happens then. Wow. Yeah. Such good wisdom. Anyway, so yeah, the DM slid in there and, you know, it, and it's so easy for somebody to take a risk. You know, you can, somebody can, like somebody post a picture and, you know, we're sexual beings and we're, yeah. we're carnal and we have flesh and, you know, Paul said he had to crucify the flesh every day. Right. So you see a picture of somebody and you're like, wow, she looks good there. It can be innocent, but it's like she looks good there. Like maybe they lost weight, maybe they have an outfit on, maybe whatever. They're at the beach or whatever, and your eyes see something, and then you you think, well, I'm just gonna be nice. I'm just gonna be nice and say, hey, that is a sweet uh, dress you have on, or I, you know, hey, that looks. Oh, how fun! Look at you and your husband. Look at you kids. You know, like that can even be. You just gotta be so careful because yeah. then one comes back. Oh, thank you so much. You're so sweet. That's one you don't say. You're so sweet. No, you. Oh, you have to be so careful with that. If I ever say that now, I say, Sandy and I think you are so sweet. Wow. And, I, and even then, I kind of avoid the sweet yeah. word because it just has a little bit of a, you know, <laughs> to it. Yeah. So such a good point. I've never thought of that. Uh, what a great point. Yeah. So I always try to think of like. Now I'll actually channel my inner Billy Graham and just because he never had a moral failure all those years. And it's like, what would Billy Graham say? He'd probably say, thank you, God bless you. So I get to where I cut and paste responses to people. Sometimes I'm just like, thank you for your kind words. Uh, That means a lot to Sandy and I. God bless you. Because I'm trying, it's Sandy and I. Me and Sandy, Sandy and I, Sandy and Lee. That's who we are. We're Sandy and Lee. And you know, when you're married, you just have to preserve that beautiful union. The two shall become one. Yeah. It's like we're Sandy and Lee till death do us part. And it, I already put her through so much that, like, I need to maintain that. Sonny told me um, probably five years ago, maybe longer, but let's say let's say five years ago. Uh, I'm I I can be a compliment giver. Mm. You know, I like to make people yep. feel good. Yep. Uh, it's not natural for me, so. I'm a forced compliment giver. Yeah. And one of the things that Sonny said to me is you need to stop mentioning that you notice women's hair. Mm. To me, I was like, what do you, I don't even have any hair. So to yeah. me, it's a go-to. Yeah. Hey, I like your hair like that. Or, yeah. hey, did you color your hair? Or you did your hair different today. Or, yeah. and she said to a woman, that's like, whoa, yeah. he noticed. And it was it's fascinating when I, looked, when I looked back, how many times I would, you know, say that, to a lady and she would say, oh, well, thank you. My husband didn't even notice I changed my hair. Oh, open door. And here's the funny thing uh-huh. is about two months ago, uh, Sonny cut her hair. Yeah. And 
I didn't notice for two days. <laughs> and when I said to her, I said, what the heck you cut? And, but I didn't say, ooh, your hair looks nice like that. I went, what the heck you cut your hair off? I go, when like, did that happen? She's like, you, yeah, sweetie. She's like two days ago. And I was like, oh, and then it, yeah. it, it clicked in me. That's why she said, don't compliment somebody's hair because even her. So now I go, I'm living with a woman who could have been susceptible to a man saying, Hey, yeah, you changed your hair yeah. because when you're busy, when you're tired, when you're one of you's asleep, when you wake, yeah. you know, so all of that to say, and so what started out for you is something innocent. Yeah. That's what Satan does. Yeah. Oh, nothing bad will happen to you if you eat that apple. You know, like it's just he. What he what he says is this is small, and then oh well, that next step that's small too, and oh now DMing back and forth that's small too, and then now switching to text. Now you both have your cell phones. That's small too. Don't worry about that. That's small. Satan always plays sin down. Wow, and. That's how you, it grows and it gets bigger. And that's what the Bible says, you know, it's conceived in your heart and then it leads to death. Right. You know, death is pretty severe. Yeah. So yeah, the, the tech, in my case, the text message has got it, you know, not totally inappropriate for a minister, but even for just a guy with someone who's not his wife. And, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that happens is you don't realize what somebody else is going to respond. There's no control mechanism. You think you have it under control, but you don't because what happened in this case was somebody goes, I'm going to go by his office. And it just so happened that the whole staff was away on a lunch together, except for me. I stayed back to, of course, work. Right. And so the protection for me wasn't in place at that moment. And, you know, that's another thing pastors, man, just don't let yourself be alone. Don't yeah. let yourself be alone. And if you're going to travel and you need to be alone, like just, you know, text your wife, keep your guard up. Uh, if you can, travel with another dude. My favorite assistant was a male assistant named Clint. He would, you know, hey, I'll drive you down to the district office so you don't have to be by yourself. And we can take the carpool lane. I'm like, great. And yeah. I go, what are you going to do while I'm in a three-hour meeting? He goes, oh, I'll go down to the beach. I'll go see some friends. Yeah. <laughs> so he liked it too, you know. But, oh, man, that was a great you know, super protection. Yeah. Um, that's no shade on any of my other assistants who did a great job of protecting me. And I had a great assistant who was protecting me at the time this happened. So it's it's not a right. catch-all. They you, just happen you to have not to be it. there at that moment. Yeah. And and so, uh, you know, there I, I can't go into detail. I don't think that'd be appropriate, but it's like it was, a, it was physical contact and it wasn't... Uh, sexual intercourse and it didn't turn into that. Right. Uh, but it was highly inappropriate and it was, you know, physical contact, a grope, I would call it. And the thing is in the ministry world, that's, that's crossed the line. And most pastors, I don't think even realize that, that like, if you're going to cut, you know, if you're going to touch somebody skin on skin in an inappropriate way, in a very intimate way, personal way, like you've crossed the line already. Yeah. Even if you don't have sex. And uh, what was happening to me was I was I had just finished writing my book. And so I had gone through editing and I took a big risk. Uh, I, I was friends with Rick Warren and I just thought he wrote Purpose Driven Life before that. And I said, was there any way you'd write a foreword for my book? And he was like, oh, I'd be glad to. And he wrote this amazing foreword. But in the foreword, he said, Whenever you look at Lee McFarland, what you see 
is what you get. Wow. And that line started to really bother me. And it was right after the grope. Wow. And I knew my book was on the printing floor and I couldn't do it. I, I went, I cannot bring condemnation or anything upon Rick for him to endorse me on a book that's just released and then this, you know, hits or something. So uh, I called the top guy in the AG early, early in the morning. I'm just weeping. And I told him what I had done. And I said, I can't let that book go out. It's got Rick and he's friends with Rick. He's no longer alive, but he was friends with Rick. And he said, I will stop the printing. And went and confessed to the district people and to, you know, the national people. And uh, I think what, what everybody assumes, assumed in my case, was that they knew details. <laughs> right. And... Uh, you know, the word on the street was everybody was saying, oh, there's a lot more. Lee's not telling the whole story or the whole truth. And the fact was I was. But, uh, but you know, I still went, but as high, so I just went, you know what, Lee, don't. God is with you still. You failed. You did something bad. And, you know, then I started looking back over my life and going, I've actually failed in many other times in my life too where I didn't handle the situation well. It wasn't this, but it was little steps, little things, you know? And I so that's what I said in my sermon today. If we're honest with ourselves, a big fall usually has a thousand little mistakes yeah. leading up to it, thousand little falls, thousand little shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have, you know, touched that shoulder, shouldn't have, you know, worked late with so-so in the room, you know, and all those things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I, I owned up to it and... Oh, it was it was a difficult time. You did own up to it, and you continue to own up to it. And yeah. I think what was one of the most beautiful things that you said in your message today was that you decided not to defend yourself. Yeah, you decided to let God do that for you. I mean, He's our glory and the lifter of our heads. But in the middle of it, it doesn't feel like He's lifting our head up. Sometimes, ask yeah. Job. Ask yeah. anyone who's been forced to walk the road to perdition. I mean, it's like, it feels like, and it's sometimes we can look around and I, I've heard guys use this same kind of cop out. Well, why is it that the guy who didn't walk all the way, he's still blessed or he got to make yeah. a comeback and yeah. here I am, I walked the long road and then I'm, I'm not coming back. And, you know, we've talked over the last couple of days and, you know, here you are. I guess trying to figure out what's the next season in your life. And I think this is the next season in your life. Mm -hmm. Like if I could speak prophetically over you on a podcast, like my father-in-law sat Sonny and I down when we were in the middle of, you know, we were about to get a divorce and my father-in-law sat us down. We'd lost everything. Mm -hmm. And same as you. And he sat us down in the living room in Tampa, Florida. And he said, you know, kids, this is just halftime. Mm, that's you know, good. What happens when you go into the locker room at halftime? Yeah. I thought back on that this season. My son 
interestingly, he played football at Bellevue High School where you guys lived. And a bit, Bellevue's a powerhouse, you know. Yeah. Yep. They've won 14 state championships. And <laughs> they were they were demolishing teams all year round. And yeah. we came to a team in the playoffs that, you know, they had a five-star left tackle. They had a four-star running back. It was just, they were an incredible team. Mm. And we were losing at halftime. Mm. And I thought, oh, man, we don't know how to lose. Yeah. Most people don't know how to lose, yeah. right? Not well. Yeah. And so they came out of the locker room, and their coach is really young. I don't, I don't even think he's 30. Like he's Michael Knipe is his name. He's an incredible leader. And they came out at halftime out of the locker room. It was like a whole other team came out. We beat the fire out of those guys in the <laughs> second half. We beat them like they talked about our mom. Like it was like, <laughs> dang, what in the heck did he say in the locker room? And I went to him after the game. I said, Coach, why are you saying to him in the locker room? He said, I walked in and I just looked at him and I said, hey, this, this isn't you. Mm. Go out oh, there and be you. Oh, that's good. I said, you, better shut, you. you better shut your mouth. I'll mm -mm. Stop you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where I'd come from, they'd say, you better shut your John Brown. <laughs> and that was it. I said, you didn't yell at him. I didn't cuss at him. That was the whole talk. And I thought, that's how I was, man. I wasn't acting like myself. Mm. Sonny wasn't acting like herself. And my father-in-law just said, you know, the, the totality of your life is going to be remembered by, by what you do from this point forward. Yeah. And I get it, man. Like you're 63. You don't look 63. You don't Thank act you 63. So Thank you. You got good skin. I mean, I know that you've lost <laughs> a bunch of weight and been focusing on your health and coaching people to do the same thing. Yeah. I don't think you've seen your best days. I Shout. honestly don't think Shout. that. Let's do it. Like, I feel like you... I feel like that's yeah. true yeah. because I feel like I am aged like a fine wine to some degree. <laughs> I've been through hell and I made too many stops along the way. And, uh, you know, people will come to me and talk to me about things going on in their life and yeah. my heart empathizes with them because I've laid in bed at night staring at the ceiling, unable to sleep the entire night with panic attack after panic attack, just rolling over me like waves. Yeah. Because, you know, the couple filed a $6.6 .6 million lawsuit against us. I remember when I got that in the mail, you know, certified mail, I remember I couldn't read it. I read like the first paragraph and I was like, oh God, no. Like that was when I thought, dear God, what are you, what are you doing to me? I have nothing already. And now this, what yeah. does this mean? What are, What's happening? And I couldn't understand why God didn't stop that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it ended up being, it, it was dismissed or settled. You know, I can't talk about that, but just let's just say it just nothing near that. Uh, because finally, after many, many years, years later, finally in a deposition, the lady said, no, we never had sex. Huh. My own lawyer turned to me and goes, so you weren't lying. Even I didn't realize my own lawyer didn't believe me. Your own defender. Yeah, my defender. So that's why I say God is your best defender and protector. Only he can know the best way to handle it. But you know what that did was just uh, birthed in me perseverance, like how... There, I don't know what it's going to be used for in the future. I know what's been used for so far, but like how just to stay patient, wait on the Lord, let him defend you, protect you, let him provide for you. 
Sandy and I are a walking storybook of God's provision when it doesn't look like it's possible, God's protection when you think he's abandoned you. And yeah, so I, you know, Tommy Barnett took me through a restoration process that's grueling. Uh, I think it's designed to break you in a way to right. make sure you just don't do that again. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, once again, while you're broken, there's blessings and you learn and, you know, God bursts something new in you that you understand yourself better. And, you know, I love Sandy so much through that because she's such an incredible woman to be so strong through that and to not abandon me. And, and you've been married 41 years. 41 years, sir. I got would, married when we were 10 for those people who are doing the math. <laughs> I would look at you and we need to have you back because uh-huh. we'll, we'll, we'll kind of wind well, it Well, wait till here. all the feedback comes in. You know, it might be, you I, know, zero out of five. I love, I love that. <laughs> I, I would say the thing that I love about your story, and again, I'm going to stand by this fact that the best is yet to come. Mm. What I love about your story is there's lots of stories where people come back from a fall and it's like they they fall and then and then somebody hands them a, a lifeline and they come back and boom they're successful again. You can see stories like that and those mm. stories can be discouraging to people. Yeah. Here's what I love about your story that I'm sure you wouldn't love it. You fell and it hasn't been fast. No. It's been a slow climb. What's fascinating is that you had this meteoric rise, a devastating fall. That's one of the themes of this podcast. And now you're making a comeback. But your comeback is like is like um, climbing a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. And it's slowly clicking its way up to the top. But you better get ready for that thing when it hits that cusp it's gonna be (laughs) and I think that there's been such I can say stuff without without I don't have to BS on here so uh, (laughs) I think that you've been blocked by people I think you've been blocked by people because they're jealous of you and I think you've been blocked by people because of competition and you've been blocked by people who looked at your meteoric rise and they wanted you to fall and when you fell, there's a lot of leaders who want other leaders to fall. And when you fell, they wrung their hands and they said, I told you so. I knew it was going to happen. And and they've wanted to hold you down as long as they could. But I'm going to tell you something right now. They can try to hold you down all they want, but God didn't bring you to this place to leave you in this place. He brought you to this place so that mm-hmm. he could propel you and to use you as a voice that is unique, a voice that is crying out out of the wilderness, a voice that has been to the bottom mm-hmm. and realizes that he doesn't want to be there, but has the route to get people back. And I Mm. told this story about Moses in one of my recent messages about the fact that when Moses fled from Egypt the first time, he went 
he went through the Red Sea and through the wilderness. And 40 years he lived in that wilderness and he came back and he led the children of Israel back through the two dangerous places that he had to overcome the first time that he went through. And so there are people who are going to hear this who are in the doldrums, like they're in the desert right now yeah. and they they have no lifeline. They don't have a denomination who's like, oh, well, we want to make you our poster child. And so they're yeah. by themselves and they can just look at this story of Lee McFarland and say, here's a guy who is walking in integrity, even though the people around him, and not everybody, I'm not, and you haven't told me any stories, to be clear. You've yeah. been such a man of integrity, and Sandy's been such a woman of integrity, but I watch everything. I'm always, I'm like big brother, I'm always watching, and I'm a super defensive person of the people that I love. And so what I love about what I think the end of your story is, is that you're going to have this whole generation of people who didn't have somebody else in a position of importance to pull them out. And you're going to be that guy who stands there and says, listen, it took me, it took me 10 years yeah. to come back out of this. Like it was hard. It was yeah. difficult, but I'm standing on the other side of it. And, and I can tell you that telling my story is the most freeing thing yeah. of my life. And I wish it wasn't my story. Like I tell my story, I wish it wasn't my story, yeah. but it is my story. And yeah. now I don't live in incognito mode. My wife knows everything in yeah. glaring detail. Sometimes to the point where she's like, I don't need to know what you yeah. ate for lunch. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's fine. And so I, I prophesy over your life mm. that in the next 10 years, God is going to do something so explosive in your life that the people who tried to hold you down are going to be back at your door begging to be a part of what it is that God is doing because you're going to be the head of this movement of wounded warriors who thought that they had nowhere to go and no one to come to. And so I'm super grateful that you took the time to be here. Grateful that you spoke to our church today. And if you're a pastor who's struggling, a pastor who's hurting, a leader who's struggling or hurting, and you don't feel like you have anywhere that you can go, please reach out to somebody. If it's not somebody you know and you don't feel like you can trust the people in your circle, then please reach out to us because we love you and because there is a rise after the fall. Amen. That's so good. Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve, uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting. We're hosting the betrayed. We're restoring the betrayer. Uh, and so now we have a campus to do that on a, a 20 acre property to do that on, as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in 
the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Whew. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction. But what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground. But I feel, <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after having the money or praying for the money and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, they gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And the, someone had, had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us, give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're gonna give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're gonna give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're gonna give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.